part of the Pharisaical crowd who were trying to get Jesus as well. So he was sent to represent them, and he gets there, and uh, he goes to ask Jesus a question. So this is where we are when, you know, when we start here. And what he's asking is that, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Of all the commandments, which is the most important? Now, this is an important question. I mean, this is a question, and those of you who are students in here will identify with this. There are times when I had so much work to do, and there was an exam coming up, and I wanted to know, what is the barest minimum work that I need to pass this exam, okay? Maths, you would say, which questions normally come? And they'll say, from this section, they'll ask two questions. So you calculate so that you just do enough. And this is what they're asking. And the, the leaders, the church leaders, the scribes particularly, used to debate and say, how can we make these laws so accessible and so summarized that people could obey them? And in doing so, they created more laws such that there were, in the end, about 613 laws. But this is the question they're asking. It's an important question. Which is the most important question? And the question is, what is the bottom line? Okay. What is the bottom line? What is the executive summary of the law? Okay. What sums it all up? Or which are the most important? Okay. This is what he's asking. And Jesus, without hesitation, says this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And he adds on, the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. In doing so, firstly, Jesus quotes a familiar uh, statement that the, the Jews used to cite, what is called the Shema, okay, which they cited every day. And it says, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, or the Lord Adonai is the Lord your God, you know, the Lord, hear all Israel, the Lord our God is one, okay? And so love the Lord your God. But secondly, Jesus quotes from the Pentateuch, the, the books of Moses, and, and in doing so, the Sadducees identify with the books of Moses, the Pharisees identify with the books of Moses, the scribes identify with them. So Jesus, you know, ticks all the boxes that they were looking for. They wanted to catch him out, but in fact, even this, they don't, uh, they don't get to catch him out. Okay. Now, the Lord is one. The Lord is one. What's the importance of that? Firstly, we are at, at this time there was. It, it was a polytheistic society. The pagan cultures around, especially, there were multiple gods. And to make it worse, there were Roman gods and there were Greek gods. And for each domain of somebody's life, there was a god. Okay? So imagine the god Neptune. Okay? He was a god of seafarers and a god 
uh, you know, of, sea, uh, of the sea. So Neptune, if somebody was going at sea to sail or to do things, they prayed to Neptune to give them luck or to, to keep them safe. Okay? Mercury was the god of eloquence. Okay? Uh, I should have been talking to Neptune if I was that. <laughs> and uh, Mercury was also the god of commerce. Okay? So if you wanted to get rich, you, you, you pampered to Neptune. But he was also the god of trickery. Okay? So, so tricksters and uh, you know, scammers would have been praying to, 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 to Mercury. Jupiter was the god of thunder. I think you get the point. There was so many gods. There was a god for each aspect of life. There was a god for everything people wanted to say. What this scripture is saying is that there is one God. That God is Yahweh. And that God is Adonai. He is the I Am. So the God we worship is not an abstract uh, thought. God is specific. He's a named God and he's a God who, the covenant God. This is the God that we worship. The Lord your God the Lord is one. But because he is one, we don't need to divide our attention. So we don't need on Monday to be saying that, or maybe it's Neptune I need to be dealing with today, and tomorrow when the rain starts and it's raining too hard, I don't know who the rain god was, but they needed to, 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 to pray to the rain god to, to, you know, to dial it down or something. But no, we don't need to divide our attention because we only worship, we only pray to one God. The Lord your God, the Lord is one. Now, this one God is the God that we need to love. This is the God that we need to love. Now, what does love mean? Okay? And the word love has multiple facets, hasn't it? Okay? There is obviously, you would know, uh, this, has, this point has been made many times. There is eros, which is just the passion of love. Passion, uh, essentially, erotic love, essentially. Then there's phileo love, which is a friendship love. Then there is agape love. Okay, The love referenced in this passage is agape love. So when it says, love the Lord your God, it means agape love the Lord your God, not phileo, uh, not eros, not other forms of love, but agape. We should agape God. What does that mean? Agape is a giving love rather than a seeking love. Agape is a giving love rather than a seeking love. It is a love which seeks to serve. It is a love which is faithful. It is a love which is a commitment. Okay? So it's not just pure mushy emotion, but this is a commitment. This is a love that engages our minds and our wills. It is a love which is an act of the will. It is a love which sacrifices. Does that make sense? So this is agape love. This is the love that we have asked to love our Lord God with. It is a sacrificial love. It is agape love. Now, how are we to love God? How are we to love God? 
with all our hearts. Now, I struggled here because heart means, okay, it means something else. And uh, when I looked at different references, no, no two references agreed on what the heart does. Okay, the heart that's being referenced. Is it, is it the emotions, which is the feelings, which is, which is the will, which is... Uh, so, so, but the point was well taken that this, what Mark is saying here is that we have to love our God with the totality of our being. That every facet of it, that from the bottom of our heart, we need to love God. That our emotions, our wills, our very essence have to be wholeheartedly, with all our strength, devoted to loving God. From with the call of our hearts, we need to love God. So, And this love is an incomparable love. And thank you, Sibrin already made the point there that this is a love which makes everything else dim. This is a love which has preeminence. Why? Because we make it our priority. That's what comes first. Everything else follows. Okay? It is preeminent. Nothing else competes with it. This is the love that we need to love our God with. It's not a half-hearted love. It is a fully committed love. It is the love that we love our God with. Now, a few examples from the Bible of how this love looks like. How does this love look like? Firstly, Revelation 3 verse 14, to the church in Laodicea, God is saying, say to the church in Laodicea, I know your deeds, that you are neither hot or cold. I wish you were either one or the other. Because you are lukewarm, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Essentially, saying to the church in Laodicea, you are lukewarm. And you nauseate me, literally. I'll spit you out of my mouth. Okay. Why? Because you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either totally cold or actually fervent and hot for God. But you are neither hot or I'll spit you out of my mouth. Why? The church was going with the floor. It was fitting in. So when they met with a crowd who were cold... They became cold to fit in. If they were with a crowd which was slightly warm, they became warm to fit in. So they were fitting in with everything around them. And in the end, they were just in a place where they were comfortable with everybody else. And God said, you are lukewarm. And I'll spit you out of my mouth. Why? God wants us to be blessing for him. God wants our love to be right up there. He doesn't accept half-hearted love. The second is Revelation uh, chapter 2 and the church in Ephesus. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. You have endured hardship for my name, and you have not grown weary. But what does he have? What does he say to the church in Ephesus? But you have lost lost your first love. You have lost your first love. You are ticking all the boxes. 
everything, literally, everything is going on as it should, but you have lost your first love. Okay. So you're going to the prayer meeting, you're going to church, you're probably almost too busy for God. You've lost your first love. And God is saying that it is the heart that matters. It is not everything else. And remember what the scribe said? It's not the sacrifices. It's not all those things. But love for God. It is love for God. So the church in Ephesus had lost the first love. And he said, rekindle that love. We need to rekindle that love. Dear friends, um, sometimes, you know, the relationship with God can be so mechanical and so mundane that it becomes a chore and we're going through motions. It's not coming from the heart. And God says we need to rekindle that love. And the question is, where are our hearts right now? Do we love God with all our faculties? But we move on. The other point is we need to love our neighbor. We need to love our neighbor. How? As ourselves. We need to love our neighbor as ourselves. Okay. Now, I'd like you to see the ripple effect or the domino effect of love for God. So the beginning was love for God. Or somebody who loves God, what happens then is love for our neighbor just flows out of that. The vertical begets the horizontal. Suddenly, things which were difficult become easy because God enables us to be what he wants us to be. Loving God invariably leads to love for our neighbor. Uh, The vertical love translates or flows into horizontal love. And because of that, This is the barometer which tells us that we love God. Okay, if we love our neighbor, it is the literally the measure that tells us that we love God. Because if we struggle to love our neighbors, and then we say, I am totally bananas for God, then first John chapter four, verse twenty says, Whoever claims to love God yet hates his neighbor or brother or sister, is a liar. Okay? It is a barometer. So this is one of the major signs that we love God, that we love our neighbor. It is a barometer. We need to love our neighbor as ourselves. But who is our neighbor? Okay, I won't be too long. Uh, who is our neighbor? The parable of the Good Samaritan redefines neighbor. In those, in the, in the Old Testament times, neighbor was, uh, the, you know, was defined in a very, very narrow perspective. And it was essentially, neighbor was a fellow Jew. But this is now a revolutionary new perspective of who our neighbor is. Okay? Who is our neighbor? Our neighbor is anybody who has a need that we know about and that we can meet. Anybody who has a need that we know about and that we can meet. This is regardless of what religion they are. This is regardless of what race they are. This is regardless of 
if they speak a strange language or in a strange accent. This is regardless of sexual orientation. And this includes people who we may not necessarily like. All those are suddenly our neighbors. So the bar is set very high. The bar is set very high. We are to love our neighbors as ourselves. We should feel the pain when they are feeling pain. We should feel the cold when they are sleeping rough. We should feel the hunger pangs when they don't have food. (coughs) The vertical translates into the horizontal love. And we should love the way God loves. So I'll just read you uh, a passage of scripture from, uh, from Psalms. Psalm 146. Uh, Okay, we are there. So Psalm 146 says, He is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea, everything in them. He remains faithful forever. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow. But he frustrates the way of the wicked. The Lord reigns forever. So... God, what, love, what God loves becomes what we love. What God wants to do, we become the hands and feet to accomplish those. So these are our neighbors, dear friends. And uh, to conclude, the scribe who asked Jesus the question was impressed with Jesus. He was almost in teacher mode. And he said, yes, almost like you did good. Okay. But he didn't realize that Jesus was the one who was actually mocking him. Okay. And Jesus said, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Okay. When the scribe said, yes, this is what I think, Jesus said, you are not far from the kingdom of God. You are not far from the kingdom of God. That almost sounds like a good thing and probably is, but it's, in fact, it's a dangerous thing. Okay? It's a dangerous thing. This man who holds high office, he deals with the law of God, subscribes the law, he, he transcribes the law rather, interprets the law, has been working with a lot of people teaches many times, yet God, that Christ Jesus said, you are not far from the kingdom of God. You know what that means? You're not in the kingdom of God. You're not in the kingdom of God yet. You're not far, but you're not in. You're not far, but you're not in. We can speculate on why he was not far. One of my favorite reasons is that He's very genuine. He went, sent by others to test Jesus Christ, 
But when he heard a genuine good answer, he agreed with the Lord Jesus Christ and said, yes. Okay? But he was not in the kingdom of God. Now, somebody said that if you miss a bus, you're going somewhere and you miss a bus by two minutes or maybe one minute, as opposed to somebody who misses it by three hours, okay? Who's better off? They've both missed the bus. They've both missed the bus. Okay. Um, Dear friends, I hope that everybody who has taken time to come here today is in the kingdom of God. Both feet firmly planted on the narrow way. Okay? And it would be it would be disastrous for you to have spent so many times coming to church and uh, going through the motions, uh, speaking the language, and then for God to say, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Okay. You should rather aim to be in. You should rather aim to be in rather than not to be far. Dear friends, the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is to love your neighbor as yourself, because there are no commandments greater than these. And everything that issues from the word of God hinges on the love of God. And make sure that you're not only not far from the kingdom of God, but that you're in the kingdom of God. Let us pray. Eternal God.